0: Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this episode, I journey up north to find out more about the revamp of Kelly Cranky House and what guests can expect from this new foodie destination. I spoke to owners Tom and Matilda about how and why they came to buy the house, their London supper clubs, what is on the menu, and what it's been like renovating such a historic home. I'm here at Kelly Cranky House, which has just recently reopened with new owners Tom and Matilda. Hi guys, how are you?
1: Hello, we're good, thank you.
2: Hi. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so, you guys have just reopened the house and it looks amazing. So what was it that brought you here, like what was it that made you want to come up here and renovate this old house?
2: I mean, we were looking for a place in Scotland. Matilda grew up here, we were looking for a place in Scotland, we looked all over we probably saw 15 yeah, places 15 properties,
1: yeah
2: this one is a spot it's yeah. such a beautiful location and it sort of fell into our l- laps a little bit yeah the, the lady who had it before us wasn't very well she was looking to sell quickly so we were like just well, we just jumped it, really. on it yeah really yeah.
1: and it's got it's sort of the right size you know so for now we've we got to do, five yeah. bedrooms it, the size of the restaurant you know we've got maximum sort of 18 covers we wanted to keep it small so it was the right size and then also just the garden's beautiful
2: yeah so we've got four acres here
1: we've
2: got two acre kitchen garden two acres of woodland which is a bit of a dream really
1: yeah especially having lived in london <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what were you doing in london
2: so we were running a supper club business company Thing we were doing this. Essentially, we were doing exactly what we're doing now, but without the rooms. But in our own house.
0: Was it shut? Well, obviously, you were doing it upshot for quite a long time. So did people? No, the
2: hotel was open. Somebody got married here at the end of October last year. Oh no! And then we got the keys November the second and locked the doors. And we didn't do any work until end of January, whatever it is now. So it's taken six or seven months to get to this point. But honestly, we are we had no idea we were so naive yeah it
1: was-
2: we are those idiots from Grand Designs where the people would turn up and think oh we'll just paint the walls and everything will be fine and then the walls started falling down and yeah we had a chimney that was condemned and everyone had to evacuate the building because they were like the whole building's gonna come down
1: we were taking up the tiles in the kitchen we were like oh we'll take up the old tiles relay you know some new tiles and um, we took up the tiles and uh, it was tiled onto plyboard on mud yeah just mud underneath yeah yeah. So we had to all the so foundations. So we spent
2: seven months of the year as builders. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I asked Tommy Matilda about their London home and supper club.
2: So we would have everyone sit around one table. That was my job. Yeah. Matilda actually had a job. And I would um, come back and do this in the evening. And she'd get roped into being a waitress <laughs> twice a week. Bring your own booze. 12 people sat around a table. No choice, surprise tasting menu. Basically, people getting drunk in our living room and eating whatever we gave them.
1: <laughs> yeah, it surprisingly well for a concert. You know, it's quite unusual to go to someone's house and eat in their living room a bit, with A bit shady, you know.
2: really, isn't it? When you think about it, yeah. you think, oh, I don't know why I've let myself in for a hit, but we, yeah. was, we became
1: you were nice, very yeah, popular. We?
2: we were yeah. sold out four months in advance. And then people and then came from all sorts of All over. Places. People from New York. We had an entire family come from Hong Kong. Germans, like people from everywhere. We
1: were pretty surprised. To
2: and um, COVID happened. I don't know if you know, heard about that thing. That in
1: someone else's living, going to stranger's house. Mm.
2: <laughs> so that was the end of that. So we were probably going to start looking for somewhere this year. Yeah. COVID happened. We are in a small flat in London. It was pretty miserable.
1: Almost twiddling his thumbs. I you couldn't know, do anything. I was working every hour under the sun via Zoom. So everything got brought forward a year. Yeah. You just thought, why are we waiting around? Let's do it, you know. So we came up here
2: May last year. was the first time we saw this building. We got the keys in November. We started work in January and we opened... Three weeks ago.
1: Yeah, it's been a magic. It's year.
2: been meant we got married in the middle of all that.
1: Honestly, it was like, <laughs> it was like the best... It was like stressful before, the best day ever. And then we got back and it was and it was like, oh, this <laughs> is why people go on honeymoons. And it was a proper knees up as well, because it was, it was after a proper all knees the COVID, up. you know, regulations had just been... Relax, and so we are actually quite lucky. There was timing. 112
2: people, and you could tell everyone was desperate for a party. <laughs> yes,
1: I everyone... got to bed.
2: I got to bed at four thirty in the morning, yeah. and then I got up at seven thirty to start cooking a barbecue for everyone. It was... Honestly, it was mad. And then yes. we got back here, and we were absolutely broken. And then there were problems with the builders. And then we were like, "Oh, what have we done?" And we're
1: like, "Oh, we need to escape." Now. <laughs> No, we're no. hoping to go January, somewhere we'll in January go. because the weather's so extreme here that we're closed in January. So. Yeah,
2: so this January we had two foot of snow. It was minus 16. The We had five burst pipes and the ceiling collapsed.
1: Oh no. I know, I
2: know. So that was that's like, that I, was the start I call of that, that my renovation. welcome to Scotland moment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: when we decided. So we'll close this year just, just before Christmas. We won't reopen till mid-Feb because it's just too difficult for people to get to us, I think.
0: tom if he'd always been a chef
2: this is a long and convoluted story so i will give you the (laughs) the abbreviated version i used to work in finance in london and then i moved to tokyo to do that and that's where i met matilda i met her in the hobgoblin english pub in tokyo um, during a six nations game england scotland to be honest with you i don't remember watching an awful lot of the game i do remember doing like flaming sambuca shots and (laughs) Talking absolute gibberish for hours and hours. <laughs> anyway, so that's where we met. And then after, I was there for three years. Matilda was there for six. six. Yeah. So we, we left there in 2014. And when we came back to the UK, I decided that I didn't want to do my job anymore. I wanted to do something else. So I retrained. So I went to Leith School in London. Then I did some starging in fancy restaurants. And, and I realized I was too old and too opinionated to peel potatoes and pick herbs for six months. So we set up the supper club and basically it was paid testing. Mm. You came and ate, we tested what we thought was good on you. And we could see when you were sat at the dining table and we were cooking in front of you, oh, they like that, but they really don't like that. So we did that for two two, two and a bit years. And that's a sort of incubator if you like for what we do here. Mm -hmm. So what we do here is 18 people maximum. But actually if everyone's a couple it's only 14 people it's almost identical in size Mm. and the kitchen the kitchen is i mean you've seen it's super open so everything is done in front of you dinner and a show that's what i'm calling it
0: (laughs) i had heard that tom and matilda were offering a pretty extensive tasting menu uh
2: last night was
1: it keeps getting longer
2: that's not fair (laughs) last night was 16 courses the week before it was slightly longer the courses—it's always, this, it's always the same amount of food. People get hung up on course numbers. It doesn't matter if we serve you four courses or twenty-four courses; you will eat the same amount of food.
1: Yes, the, it's all
2: the size different. of the yeah. plates will change. I've changed the menu a lot in three weeks. Chefs really love me right now. <laughs> they get in on Wednesday morning. And I go, guys, there's four new dishes, and they go, oh, for God's sake! In front
1: of house like, oh, I'll have Ooh. to relearn these <laughs> words again.
0: I asked Matilda what her background was and was interested to hear about her connection with wine producing and the diverse range of food she experienced growing up.
1: So I worked in advertising for a very long time and I was still working in advertising whilst the supper club was going on so I'd sort of do my my normal job, I call it day job but quite frankly it could also be evening job as well to be honest and then come back and help Tom serve for the supper club and about I don't know like six years ago we did a holiday around France, we did a sort of Tour around all the wine regions, and I just started getting really into wine. So I started doing the WSET qualifications, so the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. And I've always been a bit of a geek. I was always quite academic at school, loved exams, all that sort of nerdy loved stuff. Loved exams. I know, honestly. Loved like, exams. That awful. And I just, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. So I'm finishing my diploma. It was actually the exam was meant to be this week. But I pushed it back because I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to study for that and open this at the same time. So hopefully finish that next May. But yeah. it's also
2: worth saying there is a lingering yeah. wine thing in Matilda's life.
1: So my dad... Before she
2: knew she was interested in wine, she was interested in wine. Yeah. You know, she, when she works in advertising, she's worked for Coca-Cola, Pernod Ricotta, like big drinks brands. Mm. Her, her dad owns a winery.
1: Yeah. So. Helps. Yeah, Dad's got a vineyard in China, of all places. So it's called Treaty Port Vineyard, and it's in Shandong region, which is sort of coastal northeast China near Korea. And he started it in 2004, so sort of long before it was fashionable to do that sort of thing. Yeah, so wine's sort of always been part of my life, and I guess it's sort of background interest, but really, you know, I've only really got serious about it in the last sort of, yeah, sort of six years, really. My mum's Japanese, my dad's English but spent most of, you know, my sort of life in China. So I've always had a really Sort of broad cuisine range, you know. I always ate all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Like I remember my best friend used to come round, you know, when I was like five years old for dinner, and she'd be like, "What is this?" You know, we like dry, you know, fermented beans and you know seafood and seaweed on rice. And it was always quite an eclectic sort of food food background for me, anyway. Yeah,
2: I'm uh, from a large Greek Cypriot family, so you show love by feeding people until they puke. <laughs>
1: That's, that they is are, a key they thing. Are, they are feeders. This
2: is sure. generally how it goes. You go, you see your relatives. They say, oh my God, you got fat. And you say, okay, nice to see you too. And they say, I'll make you some food. And <laughs> yeah. then you sit for six hours until you can no, no longer. longer breathe. And then you go to bed. Yeah. Rinse, repeat, two weeks, yeah. three times a year. So I guess it's always been... The reason Matilda and I has, sort of have ended up doing what we're now doing is that we like to eat.
1: Yeah.
2: this is not a quest for technical perfection for us. This is like, what's delicious and interesting and how do we do that?
1: Hmm.
2: We're eaters first. (laughs) Yes. Genuinely.
1: Well, it's what they say about writers, isn't it? You got to read Mm. to then be a writer, you know? We eat and drink to be good food people, you know?
2: Nothing upsets me like a disappointing meal. (laughs)
0: I wondered whether Tom would complain if he was served a bad meal.
2: Oh, do you know what? I really want to say no, because I know other people are going to listen to this, but I would be like, honestly, guys, that was not good. (laughs) And Matilda would be like, you can't say that to people. And then I'd get in trouble. That's what (laughs) would happen. It depends. If it was really awful, I would say something. If it was like a couple of dud notes, then you just suck it up.
0: I asked whether Tom and Matilda had been to visit other similar establishments in the area.
1: Not really since we've been open. (laughs) it's just We've
2: got to, I would say we've got to a few.
1: Yeah, we have got to a few. And Uh, to be honest, over the course of being together, we've got to many, many mm. sort of...
2: In 2019, I did 34 Michelin-starred restaurants. In 2020, I did zero. (laughs) (laughs) Like, eating is a thing we do. We're like collectors almost. Yeah. I went to Brat in London for lunch and I loved it so much that I went the same night for dinner and sat in the same seat. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I'm a, obsessive. And when we've had time off here, we have, so we've been to like, we've been to the Three Chimneys and we've been to the cellar and-
1: Glen Turret. We've been to
2: Kinloch Lodge and we've been to Lalique. And we're actually taking the whole team back to Lalique.
1: Yeah. Because a, good... a
2: lot of our guys are super young mm. and this is their first experience of a kind of fine dining-y type place. They don't really know. When we say things to them, they look sort of puzzled. So we're like, go, we're going to go there. Also, there's only six of us. And you're going to watch and you're going to see how slick they are and what they're doing. And we're a very different restaurant to them.
0: Tom and Matilda told me about the unusual kinds of dishes that you could find on their menu.
1: And we like taking some like interesting concepts and putting our twist on it. So
2: We are quite a serious restaurant in what we do in the kitchen. I would say we're a very serious restaurant with a very playful attitude. So we have macaroni pie on the menu. We have a course called Dripping Fried Porridge. Got a
1: well-fired roll.
2: We have iron brew fruit pastels. We're really messing with people. But also it's like, what's the point of a restaurant? That's what I would say to you, what's the point of a restaurant? You don't go to a restaurant to get full up, do you? You go to a restaurant to be entertained. It's fun. It's a fun night out. This is a fun place to come and you get really good food.
0: I asked if they had their eye on any awards.
2: Any restaurant in the world doesn't not want awards. Of course, everyone wants to say what you're doing is really good.
1: Yeah, everyone wants some sort of recognition or validation.
2: I mean, I think it would be silly to say, no, we're not, we're not interested in being praised (laughs) by other people.
1: But it's not our focus. Our focus is make really wonderful food, have really wonderful drinks, make it better every single day that you're open. You know, and hopefully that stuff just follows, yeah. you know. Yeah.
2: Killy Cranky is nowhere. It's in the middle of nowhere. You need a reason to come here. We want to give people a reason to come here. You can't get this stuff elsewhere. No one else is doing this. They come. If it's good enough for awards, I will happily accept. I will cry. I will call my mum. <laughs> you know, I'll give the sprawling Oscars speech. I'm really happy to do that. But actually, all we're trying to do is like, what would we like to eat? How do we make it interesting? How do we make it better every single day? Yeah.
1: I and mean, you know, we're, we're just trying to make somewhere that we would like to come.
0: They told me which dishes from the menu are their personal favourites.
1: Mine is the drunken oyster. So a lot of our courses are, have a bit of a narrative story to them. So this one's inspired by the Glenmorangie Distillery, mm-hmm. who recently repopulated the Dornock Firth with oysters. So the idea that we like is that there's a whole bunch of oysters out there slowly getting drunk on (laughs) Glenmorangie's wastewater. So it's a sort of barbecued oyster with whiskey, um, hollandaise and some sort of PX sherry vinegar, but it's the most unctuous, like little morsel of deliciousness I love. And I'm, you know, I'm half Japanese, I love... We've
2: had quite a lot of people say to us they're unsure of oysters, but they've enjoyed that. Yeah. Oh, I'll take that. Squid's my favourite. Started out as quite a convoluted story about sort of North Sea oil. (laughs) 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 Yeah, because why not make a dish about North Sea oil? It's a dish that is entirely black, shockingly black. And it is squid, cooked in squid and topped with squid. You know, when you put it down in front of people and they go, oh, I'm unsure about this already. (laughs) And it is so delicious yes, yes, and yes. unctuous and it's super off here and it, uh, it's it got a wild garlic emulsion hidden in it, which is from here. We had like oh, well, five bags. bin bags full of wild garlic our, our
1: house in our house
2: stank. and it stank <laughs> for m- about a month. We couldn't get the smell out. But consequently, we've got like 40 kilos of wild garlic oil frozen that will last us until the next time wild garlic comes around. That I think is a great dish because it's like it's surprising to people how good one thing can be, you know? Mm-hmm. And it looks like, oh, I've not seen anything like this before. And then they eat it and they go, oh, this is good. It's my, yeah, that's yeah. definitely my favourite.
1: Yeah, I think for us, it's it has to be all about taste. Like if it looks good, then, or shocking, or, you know, surprising, then great. But ultimately it has to all be delicious, mm-hmm. you know? Otherwise, what's the point? We're not like,
2: you know, there's no Milfoy's here. There's no intricate sugar towers, <laughs> We've got an ice cream sandwich. What do people like to eat? How do we make it interesting? How do we use the stuff we've got here? Yeah. So that's super important to us. We're not using like, there's no foie gras. There's no truffles on this menu because frankly, they've got nothing to do with Killy Cranky, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know? There's no one out the back force feeding geese. (laughs) There's no truffles on these trees. Now we have a mushroom dish and it's based on four mushrooms that we went and picked from the woods behind the building. If there was truffles there, there may well be truffles in the dish. There's not, so we're so not using there them. there's not. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> no, not Global warming is going to help us. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, like, that's the whole thing is, like, what do we have here? How do we make it interesting? How do we make Killy Cranky like a cuisine mm-hmm. as opposed to, let's open a nice restaurant that serves fancy French food because there's lots of fancy French food in Scotland. <laughs>
0: Having moved from the heart of London to rural Scotland, I wondered whether having local access to certain ingredients was making a big difference in how they chose their dishes.
2: Here we're trying to be super Scottish. Everything we do, the guys say to me, let's make this, it's delicious. I say, well, what's it got to do with here? In London, it was like a free-for-all. We were like, this is delicious. Let's serve a Thai lamb rib." We did a dish, Thai Mm. thai green curry lamb rib, And it was so tasty. Everybody loved
1: it. But it had nothing to do with... Anything. You know, yeah, anything really, yeah. Exactly.
2: We would never serve a Thai green curry lamb rib in this restaurant. I think that's... I guess this is a much more focused...
1: Yeah. And and definitely the sort of produce story, you know, you've seen our kitchen garden and the aim is really to grow as much as possible so that we can use it in the kitchen. Which obviously you just can't do in London in a one bedroom flat. (laughs) You know,
2: we've got a dessert that is rhubarb, rose and beetroot. And every single component of that dessert is from here. So we have a rhubarb plant that had more, we could. We were so fed up with rhubarb crumble. So we juiced all the rhubarb and we froze it and we turn it into a snow. And then we have roses that we made rose water out of and we use that. So we've got rhubarb and rose snow. We crystallized some, so we've got crystallized rose and then beet from here, we make into a syrup. So there's a whole dessert there that's entirely from here and sounds really odd. And people are like, oh, this is nice. And you're like, yeah, and there's a lot of work there. (laughs) And it's delicious without being like super constructed. Mm. I think when the garden's in full bloom, like next spring, next summer, we're gonna have a lot more stuff that's like, "Yeah, this is what we've got. So this is what we made you. A oh, menu's changed three times three times in three weeks yeah. and it will keep, it will will keep changing. You have
1: to, yeah. you know. And what's so great about having an open plan kitchen restaurant is that you can see how people are reacting to the food.
0: I asked Tom and Matilda if that real-time feedback made them anxious before service.
1: You
2: can't please all the people all the time, but you can please quite a lot of them. If 70% of them are sending the same thing back and you think maybe this is not... This is not going down
1: And we've been to, honestly, you know, some wonderful, wonderful restaurants and had the best time. But, you know, one course you're just like, oh, that's not for me. And that's fine in a tasting menu, you know. And Mm -hmm. I don't think you can be afraid of not having 100% people like it. Because otherwise, you know, then you're sort of stopping your creativity and your imagination. You have to keep trying new
2: stuff. We went to to Mugurits like three years ago was one of the most unbelievable meals I've ever had in my life.
1: Absolutely amazing. Like
2: astonishing. And there was a course where they served freeze-dried chicken.
1: And it was awful.
2: <laughs> and Matilda was like, this is gross. Honestly. <laughs> but that hasn't detracted from our no. memory of that meal right. where I'm still like, wow, yeah. what Because
1: was. it was a tiny little course, you know, a tiny little thing. And it was like, well, they tried it. It's not for me. But then, you know, they whisk it away and the next thing comes and, you know.
2: And we served some crazy stuff. And we won't stop serving some crazy stuff. If anything, we'll double down. The kitchen's in a constant state of reinvention. We're always like, this could be better if we did this and things get shuffled around. And, and sometimes delicious things don't, they just don't stay on because they no longer fit. With a menu like this, you can't serve 15 courses of super rich food. People will pass out. So they just move onto like the, the subs bench You know, because you're like, oh, we need something lighter in here. We need more vegetables in here, whatever it might be. And then the the kind of cadence of the menu stays the same.
0: I asked about the wine cellar and bar and what the focus is for those.
1: Well, I think with the bar, we've tried to um, focus on sort of Scottish cocktails. So penicillin, bramble, Glasgow punch, all that sort of stuff. Um, So that's sort of our focus there. And a huge amount of whiskey. And then for wine, what we've tried to do is do the classics and then off the beaten track. So for both white and red. So for the classics, you know, you've got, you know, if someone just loves their Pellini Montrachet, you know, we have one of those and that's perfectly fine. But if someone wants to try a Chinese white wine, then we've got one of those too. And I think because of the background that I have with my dad's vineyard, I've always been quite exploratory with my wine. So the often beaten track, you know, for me, has some of the best value wines on the list because they're either unusual regions or unusual grapes in sort of more well-known areas. Yeah, and it just allows people to sort of try new things that they wouldn't get anywhere else. And I guess to be reflective also of what Tom's doing in the kitchen, you know, we want people to leave feeling like they've learned something new or they've tried something different that they can talk to people about.
2: And then probably the best way to drink whilst you eat yes, is a pairing, which first of all is super good value. Because yeah. it's 65 quid, was it
1: seven glasses? Six, so seven glasses, yeah.
2: Some of those things you can't get anywhere else, but here they're on the pairing because we had them made for us. So we had a beer yes. made for us. We yeah. are the only stockists of Chinese wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you will try a whole load of stuff that is not, there's no French wine on the pairing. No. You know, there's no Italian wine on the pairing there's no Spanish wine on the pairing. Yeah. You are gonna try stuff that you would never pick up in a shop. Yeah.
1: So for example, we've also got like a sake pairing, you know, so being half Japanese, I love sake. And, you know, it's not something that unless you go to like a Japanese restaurant in London, you know, perhaps is where you you'd try it, but it's got such a huge range of flavors, you know, it's the same as grape wine and being able to use that in pairings as well has been fun because you know you see people being like oh this is actually delicious i'm gonna you know next time i see a bottle or find it i'm gonna try it so i guess sort of opening up new experiences and sort of drink avenues for people you know it's nice for me to watch you know to be able to to be able to sort of offer so
0: tom and matilda have created a beer of their own
1: so it's a craft brewery in Blair Athol, which is sort of five minutes down the road. And they're fantastic. We actually took them the squid yeah, dish.
2: Yeah, to go with the squid dish. And so we took them the dish and said, make us a beer that goes with this. This is what we want. And then it was a very, very <laughs> strenuous process. We went back eight times. <laughs> had to
1: try all the beers. Kept trying
2: different <laughs> beers. And eventually we got the one we wanted and we bottled it up. And the squid dish is entirely black. And we put a black label on it that is Keeley Cranky House... Wasted There's Degrees collab. We are the only people that have it. It's delicious. Yeah, It's quite unusual. It's yeah. a great match with a squid dish. Like, and that's one, so that's the other thing about the pairing is it's not just wine. This is not like, you know, this is not your granddad's fine dining restaurant. There is a sake and a beer, and we started with a cocktail. Of course there is wine on the pairing as well, but like it's a much more exploratory kind of experience. Mm. Yeah, it's good beer.
0: As always I had some probing questions to finish off an interview. First up what three people dead or alive would they invite to their restaurant? Oh that's so tough.
1: I think Barack. Barack think. Obama. Yeah. I thought you said Borat then. <laughs> <laughs> no I think, you know, I think he'd be interesting yeah. or maybe just the Obamas. Can we have like two in one do they come as a package? Yeah no, you, you know I think they'd be a lovely wonderful pair to sort of chat with over dinner how I I don't know like Heston would you invite chefs oh, that's interesting It'd Be big pressure wouldn't it oh I don't know I don't know who
2: I would invite I'd invite some degenerates I think Keith Richards Lindsay <laughs> Lohan, and, um, Lohan and Tom Cruise
1: I mean yours are so different to my <laughs> approach
0: next what are three drinks
1: would they take to desert island
2: Pina Colada, Guinness, Scapa
1: 16. Mm. Um, Sautern, if Chateau
2: Ken.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad's wine. I'd be killed if I didn't say that. Well done,
2: good plug. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And um Iron Brew. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. You got to Just before I departed,
0: I remarked how previously it had been very traditionally Scottish, but now it feels different in a good way.
2: It was Killy Cranky Hotel. It was a hotel. You came, you know, there was lots of staff and you had your dinner and you went to your room and you walked your dog in the countryside or whatever. It's now a Killy Cranky house. We live here. All of the staff live here. We, in fact, we all live in six of us in one building, mm-hmm. us and the children. And um, like being boarding school. you've got no choice but to <laughs> talk to us and chat with us. And it's super informal and we don't mm-hmm. wear uniforms. Everyone just wears the same apron. And it's like our photographer called it a posh house party. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm not sure is entirely right because I don't really want people dancing on the tables,
1: but we're <laughs> yeah. not that far. Off... Yeah, we're welcoming people into our house essentially, yeah.
0: Thanks to Matilda and Tom. I'm definitely booking in for a meal on a stay very soon, hopefully. Thanks to you for listening to this episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Scran is a logical podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, editing, and mixed by Kelly Crichton.